Welcome back to Hindsight is 2019, the podcast where we look at 250 years of Dartmouth's history through 25 objects from the library's archival collections, one per decade. I'm Jay Satterfield, and I'll be your host for this episode. In November 1862, a member of the Dartmouth faculty published a letter in a Boston newspaper expressing his opinions on one of the hottest topics of the day. The letter was republished as the pamphlet that I'm holding here. It quickly went viral and stirred controversy across New England. Local politicians fumed, and churches across New Hampshire condemned him and called for his dismissal. The conservative trustees of one of the oldest schools in America found his views abhorrent and the public outcry an embarrassment. They decided enough was enough and moved to censor him, and he resigned his post. At the time, the concept of academic freedom was not fully embraced, so stating an opinion counter to that of the college could get you fired. This sounds pretty bad. A faculty member being ousted for forcefully arguing his position on a major issue of the day? But wait, see if this changes anything. The faculty member was the president of Dartmouth, and the position he was arguing was that slavery was a divine institution and that the Civil War was caused by misguided abolitionists. Oh man, now it's gotten complicated. Really complicated. You see, President Nathan Lord had long held the belief that the Bible legitimated the institution of slavery. He did not hide his opinion, and it had caused controversy on campus for nearly a decade. Back in 1855, he published an essay innocuously titled, a Northern Presbyter's Second Letter to the Ministers of the Gospel of All Denominations on Slavery. But there was nothing innocuous about his argument. Lord contended that slavery was sanctioned by God, and simply put, that those who opposed it opposed God's will. Nathan Lord was a Dartmouth institution. He became president in 1828. During his long tenure, he guided Dartmouth through chronic financial difficulties, instituted various reforms, and notably began admitting a handful of African-American students. While he rarely taught, he conducted chapel each week, so he was well known to all of the students. He had the strange habit of hiding behind green-tinted glasses, so students could never tell for certain where he was looking. He was feared, generally respected, and had a reputation for kindness. But the 1855 essay on slavery touched a nerve, and Dartmouth students responded in the student-run Lampoon newspaper, the Dartmouth Estrus. On the front page of the July 1855 issue, there's an article calling for the dismissal of Lord. The student authors suggest Lord apply for work as an overseer on a southern plantation, where he would be in an excellent position to use his Sunday pulpit to explain to his flock why God intended them to be enslaved. But then there's something else. One of the most disturbing things in the archives. On the last page, down in the corner, is a mock advertisement for a slave auction to be held on the green on July 27, 1855. The sale of slaves had been outlawed in New Hampshire in 1820, and by 1850, there were no longer any slaves in the state. So any contemporary reader would have seen this as satirical. It's brutal. It leads with the names of three individuals offered for sale. 
the girl Betsy, Sarah, and the boy Frank. I don't have the stomach to read you the descriptions of Betsy, Sarah, and Frank, but you can be pretty sure the language used is overtly offensive, steeped in racism, and deeply derogatory. It makes you feel queasy just to read it. The kicker here is that Betsy, Sarah, and Frank were members of Nathan Lord's family. The students were determined to make this personal. The ad also includes a listing of other objects to be auctioned off, all symbols of the institution of slavery. Plantation whips, branding irons, pistols, handcuffs, and bloodhounds. The last item hammers home their not-so-subtle message. Also for sale are 300 copies of Lord's pro-slavery essay. The seller is a fictional Nero Legree, a name that alludes to a tyrannical, out-of-touch emperor and the villain of the best-selling abolitionist novel Uncle Tom's Cabin. We live in an era of call-out culture where things can turn very ugly very fast. But it's still hard to imagine students using rhetoric like this to attack someone they personally know. Even by Twitter standards, this is pretty bad. So when Lord published his letter in the Boston Daily Courier in November of 1862, titled A True Picture of Abolition, his basic argument about slavery was fairly well known. What reignited the public's indignation was his contention that the full blame for the Civil War rested on the members of the abolitionist movement, a group of people he called arrogant and intoxicated by the airy pantheism of France and Germany. In his letter, he chronicles a kind of weird utopian history of the early republic, destroyed by misguided abolitionists who had twisted the scriptures to fit their misguided belief that slavery is wrong, when, in Lord's view, the Bible unquestionably supports the institution. Summing up, he goes on a tirade that starts, Abolitionism is at fault. It is false and wrong. It destroys the ancient landmarks. It obliterates the old paths. It puts its heel on constitutional relations. It sunders what God has united and unites what God has sundered. Sure sounds like a man of the pulpit. You just can't get away with that in a Boston newspaper in 1862, especially if you represent a college where students and alumni were literally on the front lines fighting for the Union. You know he had to expect some kind of blowback. It came the following June when the letter was republished as a pamphlet for wider distribution. Various newspapers and political figures across New England had already used the letter to attack Lord and Dartmouth. But then the Merrimack County Conference of Congregational Churches reacted with a set of resolutions. First, that Dartmouth is an asset to the people of New Hampshire. Second, that while they have regard for Lord as a person, they write they cannot abide his particular views touching public affairs tending to embarrass our government in its present fearful struggle and to encourage and strengthen the resistance of its enemies in arms. And finally, they resolve that, in our opinion, it is the duty of the trustees of the college to seriously inquire whether its interests do not demand a change in the presidency and to act according to their judgment in the premises. That same month, when the trustees met, the Committee on Honorary Degrees goaded Lord by suggesting just one degree be awarded that year to Abraham Lincoln. When Lord voted no on the resolution, 
An argument ensued over his right to vote, except in the event of a tie, and the meeting was adjourned to consider the situation. The next day, a majority report, authored by Lord's opponents, was brought to the Board of Trustees. It called for the publication and distribution of a pamphlet condemning President Lord while expressing the majority view that American slavery, with all its sin and shame, and the alienations, jealousies, and hostilities between people of different sections of which it has been the fruitful source, may find its merited doom in the consequence of the war which it has evoked. Lord would not stand for this official rebuke, but his stance was purely from the realm of academic freedom. He wrote, I take the liberty respectfully to protest against their right to impose any religious, ethical, or political test upon any member of their own body or any member of the college faculty beyond what is recognized by the charter of the institution or express statutes of stipulation conformed to that instrument, however urged or suggested directly or indirectly by individuals or public bodies assuming to be as visitors for the college or advisors to the trustees. He goes on, The action of the trustees on certain resolutions of the Merrimack County Conference of Churches virtually imposes such a test, inasmuch as it implicitly represents and censors me as having become injurious to the college, not on account of any official malfeasance or delinquency, for on the contrary, its commendations of my personal and official character and conduct during long-term service far exceeds my merits, but for my opinions and publications on questions of biblical ethics and interpretations, which are supposed by the trustees to bear unfavorably upon one branch of the policy pursued by the present administration of the government of the country. Lord was, in a word, pissed. He was being censored not for messing up his job, but for expressing his scholarly interpretation of biblical ethics that just happened to fly in the face of the opinions held by the students, faculty, and trustees of Dartmouth, but also by the government of the United States. But he also recognized that he, in modern parlance, had become a distraction, undermining the goals of the college. So he ended by tendering his resignation. After 35 years as president of Dartmouth, he was done. Call it irony or karma, but when Dartmouth created the first African-American house in the late 1960s, the space given over to the students was the house that was once occupied by none other than Nathan Lord. Hindsight is 2019 is a production of the Dartmouth College Library and is produced as part of the celebration of Dartmouth's 250th anniversary. This episode was written and directed by Jay Satterfield and produced by Morgan Swan. Our sound engineer was Julia Logan. Thank you for listening and we hope you will continue to enjoy Hindsight is 2019. Hey podcast listeners, this is Julia Logan, sound engineer for this episode. The following songs were used in this episode. Surfing Day by Marcos Balanos, Living in a Dream by Twin Guns, and Droves by Black Agnes. All songs were sourced from the Free Music Archive.